Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community and the people that bring community to life. The theme or title of today's show is Not Alexander Payne. The general idea is that this episode is a sort of Not Alexander Payne conversation about film in our community. In Omaha, with Alexander Payne, we do have an A-list cinematic talent visibly and proudly connected to Omaha. I'm curious about the opportunities that that situation has created, what it means for film in our area, how it influences and encourages or discourages the business, art and consumption of film, uh, what it has meant for my guests personally and so on. We can and should of course mention Alexander Payne, but this is not actually a show about him as such. To speak with me today about not Alexander Payne are my guests Tessa Wedberg, Rachel Jacobson, Jamie Vise, and Tim Guthrie. My guests today are Rachel Jacobson, the founder and executive director of Filmstreams, a non-profit organization devoted to enhancing the cultural environment of Omaha through the presentation and discussion of film as an art form. Rachel moved back to her hometown of Omaha in 2005 after five years of living and working for arts and media organizations in New York City in order to start Filmstreams. Among Filmstreams board members is Alexander Payne. Filmstreams has attracted great media attention to Omaha, including a profile in the New York Times and mentions in Wired Magazine, The New Yorker, on NPR's Morning Edition, CNBC, and airings of two of Filmstreams feature programs on PRI's Studio 360. Rachel has served three times on the film, television, and media panel for the National Endowment for the Arts. Tessa Wedberg is a writer, filmmaker, and connector. A Nebraska native, Tessa has been freelancing on films and commercials since 2001. She script-supervised films, including Hideaway, Lovely Still, and Lucky, was assistant director on Jessica Oreck's Independent Spirit nominee short, The Collector, and worked in production on Academy Award winner Alexander Payne's films Nebraska and the forthcoming Downsizing. Tessa has produced or directed music videos for bands, including The Faint, Icky Blossoms, The Minor Birds, and Azure Ray. Towards the end of this year, Tessa will produce in Nebraska, with collaborators from Nebraska and beyond, a script that she wrote titled In Fountain Creek. My next guest is Jamie Vise. For nearly 30 years, Jamie Vise has been involved in film-related endeavors, including many as a location manager and scout. It was a phone call from a cousin who knew a girl who knew a guy who was willing to interview Jamie for a job on the crew. Having zero experience but plenty of enthusiasm, Jamie was hired as a special effects assistant on the film Avalon. In a locations role, other notable films have included Nebraska, About Schmidt, Up in the Air, and the imminent release Downsizing, as well as music videos with Lady Gaga, Nickelback, and Reba McIntyre. Tim Guthrie is a visual artist and experimental filmmaker. His work is in various museum collections and has been exhibited and shown at various museums and festivals across the world. His most recent film is the award-winning documentary Missing Peace. The documentary details Guthrie's journey to find peace with the death of his wife, Beth, from complications of Parkinson's disease and dystonia. Tim teaches art and design at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. So I guess my, uh, I guess my first question is, film, what is it good for? Well, I mean, I think um, I kind of quote Alexander sometimes as having said, <laughs> since this isn't about Alexander Payne, I'll start with a quote <laughs> from 
<laughs> no, um, when we when we first opened uh, the Rusakalov Theater downtown, he he did a couple of events where he had chosen his top ten favorite films uh, for um, retrospectives at the theater, and um, and he showed clips, his favorite clips from these films, and he basically did these like hour and a half long talks, you know, as the presentation for our grand opening events that were where he just spoke passionately about what he loves about film. And uh, if you love humanity, you love film because it is, you know, such a great vehicle for empathy and for understanding of experience. It's really, for me, it's the closest art form. I love literature. I love music. I love a lot of things. But for me, it's the closest art form to really feeling like you're walking in someone else's shoes and and relating to others' experiences. I guess for me, um, you know, it's back to the definition of what that means, film. You know, there's obviously the raw stock of film, the stuff that you can touch and hold, but there's also the process and there's the movie making. There's the project itself. Um, as far as a medium goes, I used to work in it, in commercials. Now a digital, you don't so much anymore. Um, so it's an interesting thing. I have an analogy where I tell people film to me is like pot. I, it's been so long since I've done any of it and worked with it. I wouldn't know where to get it. I don't know how much it costs. I don't know what's good. <laughs> but, but, um, excuse me. Yeah. We, we used to shoot a lot of even local commercials on film, 16 millimeter, 35 millimeter, and, uh, to work with it in a process of commercial filmmaking, commercial making was very interesting and curious and how that has changed in our, even our local market has been an adventure about, uh, the process, but movie making and maybe we should refer to them as AP for the covertness of our conversation. Um, he's on a stratosphere of filmmakers and his cinema knowledge is just borderline absurd of what he knows and what he can access and reference uh, in any conversation. So you dare not try to go up against him in that conversation. I'll occasionally, when we're talking about it, I'll throw out, well, did you see Transformers 3, though? He just glares at me because he's not that guy. If film has that utility, that sort of noble human ability to place us in the shoes of other people, to give us an empathetic understanding of the human condition, wouldn't that suggest that a community that is rich in film, steeped in its consumption or production, would inherently be a wiser, more empathetic, compassionate place? I hope so. <laughs> I really do, and I, I and I think so. I think I think my personal experience, and that's all, you know all I can really speak from of, um, you know of of watching you know a couple hundred movies a year and being a, a cinephile and um, and having these experiences, you know, particularly, you know. 
at film streams or or even at you know at other movie theaters um it it really has has been that way for me where i um i feel closer to stories um when i see when i see a film about someone's experience um within that and so i mean and everything from I'm a big documentary person, and I especially love when sort of documentary and narrative are kind of intermeshed and when they, um, because I feel like um, the best art is uh, trying to seek truth. And so narrative always, narrative film always has the challenge of being made up. So how do you, you know, and the filmmakers can speak to this a little better than I can, but like, how do you, how do you, how do you grasp at that naturalism and that, uh, that real experience? Um, and then with documentary, no matter what, someone is telling the story. And so it's from a particular subjective viewpoint and, and to claim that as, as, as an overarching truth, it's always disingenuous in some way. And so, and so to insert some aspect of narrative there and to get to, um, to get to the intimacy that happens in real life that can't happen when a camera's in the room and when someone's being watched, is um is is pretty miraculous and so i feel like i feel like my favorite filmmakers both in documentary and in narrative film as sort of get to truth from either angle and uh yes so i mean and when i think about it a lot like you know when things are going on like when things are happening in the news cycle and you're reading about them in the times especially right now the world is so confusing and weird it's like sometimes I really n- never understand a story until I see the documentary and I can look back at it. Like um, the O.J. Simpson documentary that won uh, the Oscar for um, Best Documentary last or earlier this year, I guess. Like, you know, that's 20 years after the fact. But, but I feel like when you watch that, you actually can take a step back and just, and just really understand what happened. And so sometimes when I'm in, in the middle of all this noise, you know, I just, I, I can't wait for, for someone to synthesize it into that, you know, that two and a half hour <laughs> thesis. I just I'm calling out the, the steeped in filmmaking thing and and I wonder what that looks like uh, because certainly you know we're active enough in doing what uh, at least Tess and I do but the the look of that and the definition of that again I use that word again is uh, literally from A to Z what that could look like I would certainly hope just because the medium is a collaborative effort that it would be uh, a seed to empathy and uh, all that that is good. But uh, occasionally when we'll come together on a project, we work with complete strangers for a month and then never see them again in our lifetime. Um, in community, in a community crew, in a local crew, as we say, um, you often work with the same people, and it's it's good, and you establish friendships, and you establish uh, long-term relationships, which can only reflect out to our community, I think. I can speak to kind of outside of the filmmaking itself that we've done together in terms of empathy and compassion and what's growing in the community and the world right now. 
and what people are drawing on. We're all drawing on the same wells, but from totally different perspectives. And what grows from that excites me more than anything else that's happening in filmmaking right now. Um, I think the unique perspectives and voices that are being supported and raised up are, are kind of new in a way. The way that cinema has developed over time, it feels like a particularly exciting time for me. Um, and it, speaking about our community in general, there is an activist culture here. There is a tidal wave of compassion, care, and energy being devoted to issues that matter to people that they may not have known mattered until recently. Um, and so I think that shows up in the arts in uh, sort of imperceptible ways and then in blatant ways. I know that I've been drawn to telling certain kinds of stories that um, are part of, as my mother would say, my toolkit as a person and part of sort of innately who I am. But that has shifted and, and focused more over time. And it feels urgent now. Um, I think that there's, so whether it's narrative or documentary, um, for me, it's all coming from the same sort of interior place, the kind of stories that I'm drawn to observing and telling um, are very much driven by my compassion and care for what's going on in this community, this city, uh, this world. And uh, yeah, so I think what Rachel said about Alexander's perspective it's to me any piece of art is interesting when you really analyze where it's situated in time what that person was experiencing when they used their voice in that way what ends up on the screen and what doesn't like all of these parts of the process are fascinating to me um, as an audience member as a filmmaker and just as a human being so to be in a city that is to me steeped in curious sort of compassionate engagement on the activist level, on the art level, uh, I think it's it's drawing all of those energies together uh, is what's creating a more compassionate Omaha. You know, when Jamie started talking about sort of the production side of things, I started sort of thinking about it differently because, you know, I'm kind of coming at it from this nonprofit exhibition standpoint. And so our goal is to show these films that are sort of um, socially compassionate or that are kind of pushing the medium in a new direction and that are artist driven and then create these kind of community experiences around them, whether it's, you know, a bunch of kids walking into a room from schools all over the city, from private schools, from public schools, uh, from, you know, from Council Bluffs, from Elkhorn and from North and South. South and Creighton Prep and Benson and everywhere, getting them all in the same room to watch a film like I Am Not Your Negro or A Time for Burning, which is a film that was made in, um, in 1965 in Omaha, um, you know, and then for them to all kind of come from their different places, experience the same thing for an hour, an hour and a half, and then have a conversation around that has been really 
really powerful to be able to see, you know, um, how that can how that can impact things and how that can make connections. But when I think about it from a production standpoint, uh, you know, you kind of start thinking about what the culture is around Hollywood, and that's what everyone's talking about in the media right now—the whole Weinstein thing. And you know, I mean, and and there's a really there's a really dark side um, to the production culture, and so it's interesting that you. You asked that question because when when I think about that side of the coin, I'm I don't know. That's interesting because those people are, you know, steeped in film in a lot of ways. I think that's really interesting this how we can interpret what film is and what it means to us from different perspectives whether that's the production of film the business of film the sheer money-making machinery that is the industry of filmmaking and entertainment whether it's art and truth and declaring the human condition in some way um, whether it ennobles us or brings us down or, or calls to our activist selves um, whether it's a craft and um, there are technological elements and scientific elements to this I mean all of these things I think come to bear and I think I think we can touch on those maybe one way to unpack some of those questions is to ask each of you how do you come to film what is film to you what what do you do in whatever the medium of film happens to be well for me i'm i'm in i in the production process i'm one of the first persons in on the job on the project uh doing locations work and it's uh if you get with the right filmmaker, it can be a creative, collaborative, uh, I call it, uh, when, when good things happen in production, I call it production nirvana. You're working with great people, you're working on a great project, they're allowing you to do what you do and believe in you and, and it works. Um, so for me, in the beginning, it, it, it works out very well, and uh, there's particular projects that I've been involved with that uh, have been great. There have been other projects that have not been so great, just because people are not willing to be collaborative and not willing to, you know, uh, invite you in on the passion and the, the, the vision of the, the project. Um, Back to the community thing for a second, uh, you know, the the production process, the filmmaking process, um, the production filmmaking business can impact a community in all kinds of reaches uh, from involving locations and engaging them and engaging the community with not only, you know, the Star Watch aspect of it, but just uh, the way a crew comes into a, any particular town and uh, spends money and uh, impacts the economy. And then on the back end, if you get one scene shot at a location that ends up being iconic, 
uh, now it turns in tourism. Example, a little baseball field in Iowa. I mean, that was 30 years ago, and people still go there and pay to go there. <laughs> so um, I got off the track, um, but that's a little bit of what it does to me and does for me. I really come to film as a, as a fan, as someone who I have never really seen myself as an artist, but I have always, uh, the people I've always admired most um, have always been artists because, uh, and a lot of, most of my friends are artists um, because I see them as, as so brave to be able to find, um, find these modes of expression and be able to kind of, you know, um, make that attempt to put something out there that reaches other people and um so I've been I've been uh, pretty obsessed with movies since I was a little kid and you know and when I started studying it in college it 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 got even more exciting for me that you could really think about it critically and everything else and so you know, so being an arts administrator, you know, running a nonprofit arts organization that is devoted to to the art of film, yeah, it's. I mean, it's really a dream job and a dream experience for me because it's an opportunity to share art I love with you know the community I love, and so um, yeah, so it's a really, it's a really exciting. It's it's exciting work, you know, because that's that's always been one of my favorite things. Is like you know you were like when we were when Tess and I were in high school, we made mixtapes for our friends. <laughs> we didn't go to high school together, but we're the same age, so uh, you know. But and uh, you know all the time, and you know when when a song you know connects with someone else, you feel so proud and good about it, and and so this is kind of what my job is is to find those movies that are connecting with people and getting people excited and the, and seeing different community members um, you know find find connections to their own experiences and to one another uh, through through the art it's really exciting it's fun when I was a kid I think I, I'm trying to remember exactly I'm sure I just saw this magazine in a doctor's office or something but I wanted to be editor of the New Yorker when I was a little girl in rural Nebraska and uh I was a voracious reader, introvert, and so when I went to school, I was going to, I wanted to study journalism, and I think I'd let go of the New Yorker piece of it, but I, I, it was always storytelling. I just didn't know how that was going to manifest, and um, my freshman year, I took a class that was, or sophomore year maybe, a documentary, um, a theory class, and it sort of... I had no idea that this could be a job, and I got so excited at the idea of, because um, I started to read films as text too. There was some narrative mingled into that class, and but I remember seeing Hoop Dreams. That was one of the first ones, and Salesman by the Mayles Brothers, and I I thought, oh, okay. And Agnes Varda was someone who was a very early influence for me, and I changed universities almost immediately and started to pursue a degree in film and a degree in journalism because I grew up on a farm and we really didn't have many, like we had a couple of channels, but I was raised, I guess, steady diet of film as a child. And so I just had never sort of shifted my perspective and I, reading films as text started to feel like sort of the poetry I'd always been grasping for. As someone said to me recently, 
a screenplay is numbers with poetry laid on top of it gently. And uh, so I started to sort of metabolize this idea that this could be a career path. And I came back to Nebraska in 2001, did my first feature film as a PA, which is the absolute lowest rung on the totem pole on a, on a feature film. And I was hooked. It was probably day two. They're like, go home, Tessa. I'm like, so you sure? Is there anything else I can do? They're like, please leave, you know. Um, and I think that was 20 hours into my second day on a film. I mean, t 20 hours into the work day, <laughs> because that was one of those where I was, uh, yeah, I couldn't get enough. And I just, I had found my people. This like wild band of misfits where every time I walk on a film set, those people, before I've even spoken to them, make more sense to me than most people ever could. And so that sense of community and collaboration, going back to the point we were making earlier, um, what happens on a film set is a community is created overnight. Um, like Jamie was saying, you forge these long-term friendships, but it you're working toward a common goal. And, and the goal is usually creating something beautiful and meaningful. It's an exceptional a gift uh, that I'm so grateful to have experienced because people often ask me, how did you get into it in the first place? And you really just have to make yourself, I mean, persistence because you don't send a, a resume into a film. But yeah, so that was how I got my start and I PA'd and then started to PA and then kind of started to move from there. the inimitable Rachel, but we can now welcome to the show Tim Guthrie. Yeah, I'm probably going to go off on a weird tangent because uh, the conversation you guys were having earlier, one of the things that was kind of interesting was it all sounded so positive and optimistic and that film's this great thing and blah, blah, blah. But I think of film, I don't think of myself as a filmmaker first off. That's important. So when you ask me to come, I'm like, what? Are you sure? <laughs> um, right. It's just one media. So I, I use a lot of different um, mediums depending on what I'm working on. Um, so yeah, I'm now I'm going to go off on another tangent. Somebody was telling me uh, another person, a photographer in town, wow, Tim's a great photographer. And he said, yeah, and he can paint. And she said, or he, and he can really paint. And she said, he can paint. <laughs> I, that's the way most people know me. They know me through one of the media that I use and nothing else. But, um, but I think of filmmaking, like a lot of the different things that I use. Um, I think about that quote from uh, Fahrenheit 451, where uh, technology is like fire. It can be good or evil, depending on how you use it. <clears throat> and I think film's the same way. I mean, you can think of the way the Nazis or communists, you know, we make propaganda with films or the way, the way we make uh, propaganda with uh, film, that it can be used to accomplish just about anything. So, yes, it can be used for really noble goals like you guys were talking about before, but it can, it can also be total uh, chaos and can uh, and be used in a, in a pretty harmful way. I mean, you could argue that some of the the videos that we watch online, the misinformation, disinformation of online media, that that's film also. And boy, is that screwing us up. <laughs> 
it, it might be fair or unfair of me to say, hey, look, we have uh, a globally recognized auto A-list caliber. Surely this area is demonstrating all the hallmarks of a burgeoning, growing sense of love for film, production of film, quality of film, people talking about film. And, and maybe that's true. Maybe that isn't true. Maybe we should expect that. Maybe that's unreasonable. But given that you all in some way touch on the nature of film, what is the state of film in in our community and, and what could it be? I think it's back to my overused word of definition of what that is. It's all of uh, the things such as, you know, Tim's film, uh, the next music video, uh, the next documentary, the next uh, film by AP. Uh, what does all that mean? On top of all that, there's this commercial making that goes on that I probably get more of my income from that than making the next movie. But uh, these are little films that are made too. It's a microcosm of, of, of making a motion picture. And then there's this other collective that is just out there doing something, shooting something. They're, they're, they're shooting a little independent short. They're shooting an experimental film. They're shooting uh, everything. And my hang-up is I want everybody that works in film to be working all the time. And not enough people are doing that. Um, I also want films that are commercial films, whether it's the next commercial TV commercial or uh, movie, uh, to move the economic needle. Because that is what ultimately the senators at the state capitol want to know about and are interested in. They want to know numbers. They want to know uh, how they want to know uh, what's the real dollar value of this production value, and uh, it's not being accurately recorded. It's not being accurately uh, tracked. And uh, until that happens, until there's a plan in place, uh, our market uh, place will remain the same. And to me, it's uh, f fairly plateaued, to be honest. Um, sure, there's there, there's commercial production companies out there that are are making money uh, and doing their thing, but there are many that are not. Uh, they're 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 fighting for the next production dollar. What's at work is because of the digital flip and the new generation that's come along is uh, we are working in a, a marketplace that there's just too many cameras and not enough budgets. And uh, that's that's an issue. Um, filming incentives is a whole other conversation um, that, that drives larger productions to any particular area. Um, one of the busiest spots on the planet right now is Georgia. And uh, they're just killing it down there just because uh, of their incentive program. Um, TV shows, uh, movies, uh, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And to imagine Omaha or Nebraska being as busy as having something ridiculous like sixty projects happening at once is is uh, mind-boggling. 
Um, Infrastructure-wise, we have a hard time handling three projects at a time. but it's all a big picture of having a plan, uh, building infrastructure, reaching out to uh, communities, uh, adding diversity to the crew, tying in with local colleges, uh, being in active conversations with government, uh, tracking these numbers, as I say, uh, to make it somewhere where people would want to come here and, and come back. Um, but uh, without film incentives, they don't want to come. And then when they do come, um, they have to have a good experience with it. So, A lot of the most interesting thing to me that I see happening isn't necessarily stuff that's um, commercially viable or exciting or whatever. Um, or even the conversation earlier when you guys were talking about kind of truth in film and honesty and revealing stuff, etc., the last thing that I've done couldn't be more personal than it is. And, um, and it couldn't have had a smaller crew than, than it had. Um, I had a little bit of assistance from a few people here and there, but it was pretty much just me telling a story that I just had to tell. And and I don't even think of it as a film. I think of it as a love letter. It's, it keeps getting classified as a documentary and all the awards that it's won is in that documentary thing, but I don't think of it as a documentary. (laughs) Um, it's exciting not just to have AP out there, but to have film streams here um, and encouraging people on zero budget, no crews, no film school, no whatever. And they're still making things and they're still sharing and showing. And um, I think I think there's, um, like I said, not to dismiss anything Jamie said, because those are all really important things, but it's there's also that side, just the art of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having worked throughout my career up to this point in many different markets, um, there were years, uh, a chunk of years actually, that I traveled quite a bit to work because the work that I was seeking wasn't here, sadly. Um, And I worked in Michigan and Louisiana and New York and Iowa and uh, places that had incentives intact. Um, A lot of times when people call and say, you know, can you help? I want to make a film or I want to make a portion of a film in Nebraska. Their next sentence is, or question is, do you have film incentives? Um, What's the crew base? And, and so I would love if there could be, and, and personally, I would like to create as much work here as I can as a, as a filmmaker, but that requires, you know, a different approach. So there's a project that I've been developing for a while that we're doing through OCI um, as a fiscal sponsor and doing it more as the, the instead of investing in the film, you're sort of donating to it. And so I think you get creative in this market sometimes with getting things made, but it is important for me to um, make that piece here and make it with uh, other artists from Nebraska, other filmmakers from Nebraska. Thank you. 
part of how I respond to the question, what is Omaha? is to think about it in film terms. And I I don't, for example, say, oh, Omaha, this is where Warren Buffett lives. He's the really, really wealthy person that you all know. Because it means nothing to me in terms of how I culturally define my life in Omaha. But the same with with film in some ways. I don't say, oh, I I live in Omaha. This is the uh, place that I would culturally define as where Alexander Payne lives or used to live and has a home here. I think of it more in terms of it is a place that in the last decade, film streams as an art house independent movie theater has established itself and is now growing to the Dundee. I think about it in terms of the people that I know that work in films, such as you, Jamie, and, and you, Tessa, and, and the work that you've done on films like Nebraska, which are worthy of attention just because of the cultural artifacts and the entertainment too, that they are. And, and then I think to Tim about saying, we have people making films here that either speak to this place or of general human concern. And therefore, you've traveled around the world to talk about some of the experimental films and productions that you've created. So I'm wondering if film, in your experience in in this area, is a way that we do, or maybe we could culturally identify what being here is or could be. And maybe, maybe, it, maybe it doesn't now. Maybe we fall short of what it could be. Um, in fact, I'm sure we fall short of what it could be. But I'm just wondering if there is a cultural aspect, how we identify ourselves as Omahans that could be rendered through the lens of film in some way. Well, for me, I'll use the location scout uh, lens to answer this, I think. I, I see things throughout the state, and it's beautiful. Uh, it's not the typical, classical, scenic view, scenic overlook that you pull in where the sign is. Um, one of my things I love to do when I'm out scouting for anything is I'll just turn down a road I feel like turning down and... Uh, most times we'll discover something. Uh, do that and take a camera. My point is there's a whole other world to this state outside of Omaha. And it's interesting landscape. It's interesting personalities too. Uh, you get out past North Platte and the people out there are lovely and the land is spectacular but they couldn't care less about building the next arena in Omaha and vice versa. And that's a sad state, but um, it's true. Um, But I would love to see more films made out there to bring it to a theater. Uh, The Sand Hills, the northwestern part, I just came back from the northwestern part of the state, and it's... uh, mysteriously vacant of humanity and uh, it could be you know on one turn and surface of another planet to uh, the left what's left over after uh, an asteroid hits I don't know uh, you know you'll see more windmills than you will vehicles on the road um, but it's cool and but it's 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 back to what it is that we're trying to show the rest of the world on film uh, is it the next story about family and small town 
uh, in economic crisis in black and white, or is it uh, something spectacular uh, as the sand hills and uh, something shot in summer? And piggybacking a little bit on what Jamie said, my answer would kind of be two-pronged. One being that um, film streams, I think, Ooh, I'll go back to the Dyer, Iowa reference. It's sort of, if you build it, they will come. So when film streams, born maybe 10 years ago, I think-ish, I think you realized what a hunger there was for this conversation around cinema and engaging civically around issues and just having the opportunity to see films that you couldn't see otherwise. And so when I did, I did a piece for Rachel um, for the feature event earlier this year with Julianne Moore and what what came up in conversation over and over again interviewing people like Kurt Anderson and um, other board members was that there was a cultural shift in Omaha as a result of that development going up in North Downtown and that restaurants and other sort of cultural hubs grew out of that space um, kind of existing and, and bringing in an energy and a vibrancy to the city that, um, and I was living here before that and I was living here after that and you could feel a shift. Um, and then in terms of sort of Nebraska and storytelling, for, for me, every person is so unique and their own hope and suffering and definition of love and all of those things is very particular to them. It's their interior experience. But living here, you know, things get printed on you on a cellular sort of level. And growing up in a rural space where there was nothing around me but the opportunity to sort of dream and build my imagination, um, that every story I tell, you know, even if it's not about me in a, in a direct way, uh, you show up in all of your work. And so I think, um, but I think it's exciting to... Um, hear about some of the work that's being created here and knowing that a lot of that comes from an experience that started here or grew here. Um, and I like the idea of filmmakers from here continuing to tell stories because no matter if it's a Nebraska story in particular or not, uh, they are in it somewhere. I, I love that idea that you show up in your work. So I'm I, I want to ask each of you just to share some, maybe some profound moments in, in your own working experience and, and maybe, you know, one or two of the more prosaic moments too. One of the ironic things is, I mean, here I, I'm saying I didn't go to film school, et cetera, but yet I teach video at Creighton, I, I, but yet that's now what I'm doing. I'm teaching students how to make documentaries, things like that. And irony of ironies, um, when we make these films, whether it's these bigger backpack journalism things that you know several people and departments are working together on, or whether it's just um, stuff that my students are doing, one of the conversations sometimes is that you don't need to put yourself into the piece. You know, figure out how you can tell somebody else's story without doing that, um, and figure out how you can do it with their words rather than your own. Um, so it doesn't need to have voiceovers, et cetera. You know, can you do it that way? Can you just have it be told kind of honestly in that fashion? And here I am, the last project that I did, it's me talking the whole time. Not only am I in the film, it's about me and my wife, deceased wife. Um, and it's uh, an incredibly 
a personal story that's exactly the opposite of everything that I was telling the students they should focus on. Um, it was just something that I had to get out of my system and I, and I did it and now I'm going to move on to something else. You know, we're very lucky to do what we do. Uh, I remember as a kid going to the theater and I found myself waiting for the credits and the credits to roll out and didn't even, not even realizing that I was admiring these people on screen. And I was convinced they were absolutely not human beings, that they just put names up there to fill in a space. I don't know what it all meant, but the day that, you know, my name showed up in a credit on something, uh, I realized that it was, it was, I got to do that. It's back to having the job and, you know, the prolific moments. Uh, so many of them happen when the camera's not out rolling, whether you're out to dinner or out to lunch with uh, the, your collaborators or uh, scouting for me at the very beginning. Uh, there's just moments that are priceless that, that uh, have me thanking uh, again the career gods or whatever it is that have uh, gifted me with doing what I do. Uh, there's a lot of good, mostly good. I didn't know why I did it as a young person, and I've had a lot of very kind ushers grimace at me over the years as they're sweeping popcorn beneath my feet, but I stay till the bitter end and have for a long time because every single person in that list worked hard. But yes, I think that the first time you see your name up there, you feel like you're a part of some, um, you know, club you never thought you could belong to. Or uh, I think that there's this feeling of, because as glamorous as it's portrayed, it's hard work and long hours. And um, you earned that moment. Um, and so as a younger person to see it, yeah, it was a feeling of pride. Ultimately ends up mattering is the connections you make with other people. Um, and I've been gifted with some extraordinary um, experiences over the years. And, and one that stands out for me um, is the experience of working on Lovely Still, which was about 10 years ago, um, because what was created there was a really special family. A lot of people on the film were sort of green, including myself. Um, and it was so collaborative in a way that I hadn't experienced before or since. And because we were in confined spaces in the dead of winter, we really got to know each other. And in particular, Martin Landau became a friend and spent a lot of time. I was script supervising, so what we call Video Village. He spent a lot of time in Video Village um, and we just were shooting the breeze and getting to know each other. Um, and he played a practical joke on me on the set that um, I think exists in some drive somewhere on the planet. I don't know. Uh, I never saw it. But um, the crew notoriously knew that I did not like the M word as NPR, I think, recently dubbed the most hated word in America. So over, you know, late nights, over dinners and things that had come out, which is not an uncommon word to loathe. I think ointment's also unpopular, I heard. Um, but so he started to collude with the crew. And I think if I remember correctly, it was in fact his idea. And we had become pals by this point. So part of my job as a script supervisor, when someone sort of goes off book, 
I have to sort of be aware of what they're saying in case they decide they like it or not, or I need to kind of rush in after they call cut and, and discuss it with the director or actor. And this take was, talk about tangential, it was like four minutes long and every other take had been 20 seconds. What is going on? I just, and I have headphones on and I start to see some of the crew sort of coming out into the room that I'm sitting in. I'm like, what is going on? And it was all to build to this moment where he said that word in this very elaborate performance that was built around this, that the mansion at the end of this build was the M word. And so the behind the scenes person was there filming and there was clapping and there, um, so there are moments like that where um, I think the collaboration and the hard work, you just feel so grateful and that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. He didn't go home for Thanksgiving that year. And so he and I uh, went to M's Pub. And so my favorite M's Pub memory is just chatting and shooting the breeze about his going on auditions with James Dean and he could tell the most wonderfully um, elaborate stories. And while he was talking, he was telling me this story about meeting Edith Piaf and he's a brilliant, like you were saying, multi, multi-tiered talent. And so he drew this picture of Edith Piaf on an M's napkin that I still have. If I never have you know, another grandiose cinematic experience. I am so grateful for the ones I've collected. I feel quite optimistic about film here. And I I understand that there are some hurdles, but when I think back to arriving in Omaha, there, there was no film streams at that point. And Lovely Steel hadn't been created. And, and you mentioned that, Tessa. And um, if I'm correct, that was uh, a Nick Fackler script and that he was in his early 20s. And so you see talent like that. And then I look around this room and I see that the talent sitting here as well. And Omaha Film Fest, I think, is relatively new too. Uh, We have some different cinemas that weren't here before. And it just makes me wonder, do we have the seeds of an ecosystem, perhaps, an organically evolving, growing ecosystem for film these two are professionals, so they, you know, they won't get harmed by this. I'll, I'll, I'll eat it for this one. Um, I, I think of the seeds as the creative people that are doing those things, right? Um, so it's the fertilizer <laughs> that um, needs to be there. Um, when we talk about incentives, when we talk about financial support, that kind of stuff, it, it really comes down to whether we've got a state government that's willing to support it. And I don't see in the kind of people that have been elected to our state as being people that are supportive of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I can, I can, you know, somebody can come after me for that one, but I just don't see it. And over and over again, they actually act like the arts are some kind of horrible evil that needs to be strangled. So it, you know, can't ruin things for everybody else. Um, And I don't see that in other states. You look at California, you know, New York, whatever, um, the states where they really support the arts. Um, And I'd like to see that support happen here. There's certainly people, um, local people um, that will even give out of their own pockets, the the people that have the money to be able to do that. But but that's not um, the kind of support that comes from the state that if we're going to talk about Nebraska needs to happen. I'd love to see that shift. Um, 
I agree with all, what all you guys have said about the past decade being a shift in Nebraska, but the shift that needs to happen is coming from or needs to come from that area, in my opinion. I have seen it firsthand. I've seen it when I was testifying for film incentives. I, I, I've some of the responses were embarrassing uh, from our elected senators. But if there can be this awareness that's created, um, this fertilizer, I love that too, that, that you can add. I think the seeds are here. I think there will be more seeds that will come. Uh, there will be seeds that leave because they are not getting that fertilizer. And um, totally, we're, we're, we're talking about uh, agricultural analogies to film, ironically, here. Yes, I agree that the seeds are here, um, but we need to keep them here. I just think it's a matter of making sure that everyone who wants to be a part of this medium and art form feels like there's a path for them to thrive and, and stay here long term. I think if there's a magic bullet out there, it would be that one marvelous film that was generated here, shot here, portrayed here as good, positive, beautiful. It was successful commercially, and people came here to visit it and where it was shot afterwards. Just one of those might bring people together to a place to say, we could do this again, and here's how we did it. Um, I have a project that I'm trying to develop that I'm going to try that. I'm, and my colleagues and I are almost looking at it as a new way of embracing the production of it and engaging the counties where it could be shot and engaging the stakeholders that it's about and uh, doing that. And, and whether or not that will get done is a whole other story, but it's, it's with the element in play of showing the state that uh, it could work and it could uh, do well. Well, I, I think that the, the, the very first thing that listeners can do in order to themselves nurture the ecosystem that is film in the community is to partake of the fruits of your labor in AP's forthcoming film, Downsizing. Jamie and Tessa, you've both had roles to play in that. Um, you can also, and it'll be showing at Rachel Jacobson's film streams and the forthcoming Dundee Theatre too. And listeners can also partake of Tim's work as well. His documentary Missing Piece is showing globally. And so that can be seen uh, wherever there is a decent film festival near you. But with that, I've been in conversation in the first part of the show with Rachel Jacobson and the second part of the show uh, with Jamie Vesey, Tessa Wedberg, and Tim Guthrie. Thank you all for being here. To listen to this show again and to hear past shows, 
Download the podcast at iTunes, search for Live's radio show with Stuart Chittenden, and leave a review while you're there to let me know what you think of the show. That's the end of this week's show. The sound engineer was Dalimar McTizik. The magnificent Marion Fay helped produce the show. Lives is an executive production of Squish Talks. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week for more community, conversation, and the people that bring community to life. <laughs>